And again, I, I, I immersed myself so much in black culture that I didn't embrace mine as much, but I'm really realizing that now as I'm seeing things transpire in black America, where we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, we're talking about racism and all the issues that are happening in the U.S., I didn't have that experience back home because everybody looked like you, from the politicians to the president. When you vote, you're going to get a black president, period. <laughs> My neighbors are black, you know? And you had people from different backgrounds as well. I mean, you did have like maybe a sprinkle of white people or people from other cultures, but my people were my my complexion so that's why I had such a hard time as a young girl understanding why I wasn't accepted because everyone looked like me leaders need constant developing it might be on the personal side of development or the professional side but essentially the work that you do on yourself will benefit how you show up as a leader in the home as well as within the workplace. Check out these testimonials from some clients I've worked with in the past and make sure you book your session soon. They want to continue on this journey because it has been very beneficial for me. Um, like I said, I'm not the same person. I don't feel like I'm the same person I was five weeks ago. How I fit your strategic goal. And they're like, wow, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, that does. I mean, I'll, I, I'm glad. I'm glad you got me here because that's that's good. So, feel it was accurate. Like, what what's your feedback? I think it was definitely accurate. Thank you so All much. Right. This was fantastic. You're welcome. You're welcome. And you have period. Like, how do you feel now? I do want to be successful in my business. Um, I need to work on me. I'm like, I'm happy right now. I am. I'm, that's this is good. good. So, what are you waiting for? Schedule your session today. What's up, guys? Thank you for joining me on another episode of Internal Fire. I hope you guys enjoyed your Thanksgiving. I celebrated a birthday on the 25th. So shout out to all the November babies and those December babies coming up. And on today's episode, I'm sharing an episode that I did with my friend, business partner, Tyra Shivers, who has a podcast called The Empowered Platform Show, where he talks about some great topics. And for us, we talked about leadership and adversity. So I shared my story of how I became a leader, but how adversity really was a thing that shaped me because adversity is something that we are going to face. It's just how you face it, where you come out on the other side of it as a more effective leader in the home and also professionally. So of course, get your notepads, get your note-taking materials, and let's get into part one of this message. Welcome to another episode of the Empowerment Platform, where our goal or our mission is to empower you to reach your goals, whatever they may be. And of course, we always bring in real life stories that will impact you, give you practical tips and tools to help you reach your goals and better your life or take your life to that next level. And tonight I have a friend, great friend with me, a partner, business partner, Miss Aisha Thomas. How are you doing? Hey guys, I'm so excited. <laughs> so I'm just going to read just a, just a snip of your biography because it's, it's deep, it's lengthy. You've been through some things. Aisha Thomas is a leadership and team development expert, consultant, and professional speaker. She's a published author that aims to develop leaders and teams to improve culture, communication, engagement, and diversity. And so Aisha, take us back to your beginnings your childhood, those memories. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Just introduce the listeners to who is Miss Aisha Thomas. Oh, wow. Take them back. Um, well, externally, it's always interesting because externally I show up and a lot of people already have their stories already created from me externally. But as a Black woman, um, I'm an African woman, so I'm an immigrant. So my, my parents decided for, they had the American dream to come to the United States utilize the opportunities here in the U.S. in order for them to flourish. Because again, um, people in my country, the average income is $100 a month. 
But the amazing, the amazing thing that my parents were able to do is my father got an accounting degree. My mother was the first entrepreneur I saw. She had a hair salon back home. So we lived very comfortably. Um, but there was a lot of grind and hustle that they had to do in order for them to get there. However, they still saw that the United States was an opportunity for, you know, opportunities to open up for their children. So I am the youngest of five. And uh, my brother and myself were the last, you know, last of the Mohicans to come to the U.S. and pretty much make this our secondary home. Well, now I feel like it's my first home because I've been here so long. Um, but coming to the U.S., I was excited. But unfortunately, I found myself running into a lot of issues because um, I was just, I recognized how different I was because of, <laughs> because of kids, right? A lot of kids are, kids can be pretty harsh. And I find myself in a season where I was excited to come to the U.S. and it turned into something that became very traumatic. Um, I had already experienced as a five-year-old sexual trauma. So now I came, I left the West Africa with that already, already, already dealing with that trauma and now coming to the U.S. and not feeling accepted. So I dealt with a lot of bullying. Um, I, I really started to find myself disconnecting from my African culture because that's what kids made fun of. So let me be more American to fit in. So I always share the story when I talk to young people of how Aisha became Aisha because I wanted to fit the American norm so much. You know, this African girl became an American girl. But again, it was just a facade. It was just something that I was putting on to fit in. Um, and the thing about the thing about when you wear a false identity for so long and you're pretending to be someone that you're not, over time that's gonna have a lot of that's gonna have a lot of wear and tear in you internally. And that's what essentially happened because when you're constantly trying to fit in so many different boxes, you find yourself so overwhelmed to the point where you don't feel like you, who you are authentically, is good enough. So when I was in ninth grade, I attempted suicide. So I swallowed a bottle of, bottle of pills and um, I remember it going in and out of consciousness and um, woke up in, um, I, I woke up in the hospital. And again, I remember bits and pieces of it because I was kind of in and out of consciousness. But, you know, um, thank God um, I survived that suicide attempt. And after that, I really started to, I think my parents recognized the heaviness that I had, and they really started to usher in a season where they wanted to separate me from those influences. So, um, which was the best thing they ever did. Of course, at that time as a young girl, I was like, no, I don't want to leave my friends. This is all I knew. But that was the best thing they did for me because essentially that allowed me to start really embracing my, embracing my identity. It's like I went to a new school and I started fresh. People thought it was cool to be African. People were accepting of me. And that really started to shift my self-esteem, my confidence in myself. And that really allowed me to pretty much really start getting into the space of um, being more of an individual. Like, again, I tell a lot of kids now about individuality, being who you are. And the interesting thing is a lot of adults deal with it also because they go and they wear these fake masks not really embracing their self-identity and it turns into just a season of confidence issues and now again they're dealing with suicidal um, if um, suicidal ideations and struggles um, so again that was such a blessing for me that my parents did that because again I started to go on this path of individuality learning about myself and um, you know essentially that led me to um, once I graduated high school went to college for a couple of years I thought I wanted to be a police officer but essentially I ended up joining the United States Air Force which I've been serving in since 2003 and it was the best decision I ever made because it helped me really develop my leadership skills and my individuality so much more because of just how the military is shaped it's like a leadership development right. you know type of machine um and it really helped me because even throughout the years even again from five years old all the way to 20 years old i dealt with you know constant sexual trauma again i had the suicide attempt i dealt with so many things as a little girl that um it, it you know it was really challenging even for my parents to try to navigate you know, being in another country as well, but their child is dealing with so many different issues. Um, but, you know, thank God I was able to overcome a lot of those and really the, the military just shaped me and molded me in a way, which really just made me break through um, a lot of those issues that I have had aside from going through therapy and so on. So I've been through some things, okay? But on the other side, listen, I made it and so can you. Absolutely. So as we, let's go back a little bit because I understand, and I know, and growing up in South Alabama, we did not have 
a lot of contact, I would say, with a lot of Africans. So when people did come around, there were those jokes. And when I think about that, it's just ignorance. It's a, a lack of understanding. And then I'm like, you are picking on or creating an image of your ancestry, really. And we we see it like we're so different. So as you were coming up, what are some of the differences that you would recognize between Africans and then black Americans? Because looking at you, of course, you look black and that's how we would just say you're black. But when you find out you're African, people automatically, like you said, put you in a different category now. What are those things? What are those things that you feel coming or being a native African are some of those bigger, bigger differences, those mentality things that we deal with? It's just difference between us is separating our minds. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I have such a different worldview. I mean, I have this big thing where I talk about it's about exposure. And if you're not exposed to different things, um, that's why, again, thank God for the military, because people are um, traveling all over the world. They're seeing other cultures, other backgrounds. Again, their worldview is changing versus when you live in that one county or that one state and that one city, that's all you know, that's all you see. And you hang out with those one type of friends who have that one type of mindset and that family that unfortunately also sometimes has that one track mind. So again, I had so many different perspectives because, you know, like for instance, I'm a Christian woman. My father, you know, I grew up, he was a, he's a follower of um, Islam. So I had that worldview and coming to the U.S. and seeing how, you know, people of that background or people that are Muslim, like they're, they're seen a certain way. Um, again, an immigrant and even now seeing how immigrants and people coming from other countries are being treated. Um, It's so interesting because, again, that worldview allows you to see things differently. So I think for the past few years, I think that's when it started to connect to me how much the, 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 the parallels, right, the differences, because, again, you have to realize that I had a season where I was I so disconnected myself from being African that I was more immersed to the culture of Black America. So when things were transpiring around me, I didn't have that awareness to know these are the differences. Um, I heard the jokes. People didn't really understand like my accent. So again, even for me, it's hard for me to speak the language. So I see more of a foreigner to my country than, you know, than I do here because I disconnected so much. But what I realized recently is the Black American experience is so different. I didn't grow up I grew up seeing police officers that look like me. I grew up, again, seeing entrepreneurs and business owners. I grew up with no mindset of limitations and the man is going to hold you down and discrimination. I didn't hear those things. It wasn't until I got into the schoolhouse in the United States where I started to hear about racism, slavery. And the interesting part is like my country, we were, um, we are created or um, birthed from free slaves and slaves, freed slaves, and those, of course, the native people of Sierra Leone. Um, and they also were really involved in liberating slaves. So they will have slave ships that came through, and they would take them over and liberate those slaves on those ships. So it, my last name is Thomas. So clearly, <laughs> clearly, <laughs> there was some slavery there. But I, I, I know my culture. I know my people. I'm directly connected to them. Where you see Black Americans, they have to take a DNA test and a swab and send it to some lab and hope they find out who they're connected to. Man, I have that direct connection. So those are one of the things. And again, because of my worldview, I see the world, politics, religion, um, faith, and connecting with people so differently because in the U.S., I mean, excuse me, in Africa, I used I grew up listening to Michael Jackson, Madonna, Boy George. It wasn't like just hip hop music. I was introduced to hip hop when I got here. It just was so different for me. Um, and again, I, I I immersed myself so much in Black culture that I didn't embrace mine as much. But I'm really realizing that now as I'm seeing things transpire in Black America, where we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, we're talking about racism and all the issues that are happening in the U.S., I didn't have that experience back home because everybody looked like you, from the politicians to the president. When you vote, you're going to get a Black president, period. <laughs> my neighbors are black, you know, and you had people from different backgrounds as well. I mean, you did have like maybe a sprinkle of white people or people from other cultures, but my people were my my complexion. So that's why I had such a hard time as a young girl understanding why I wasn't accepted because everyone looked like me. And I was like, 
you look like my people back home, but you don't like me. So I think that that's what um, is so important. There are people that lack exposure. And again, when you when you have grown up in a bubble where it says that there's limitations, there's racism, there's these uh, uh, these layers of issues you're going to go through, even being pulled over. Again, the cops look like me. I saw cops get cussed out back home. Like, you will get, <laughs> listen, if you're wrong, the whole town and village will come at you. But here, it's different. So um, I think that's been the awakening I've had recently because it's like these limitations or these, oh, you have these systems in place that limit you. And even though West Africa isn't perfect, I didn't have that same experience. So I came, I have this like worldview that a lot of people don't have, which I think um, really does affect how maybe Americans function versus someone that is so connected to their culture, their people. They don't have maybe as, um, they, they don't have as many limitations or they see things just completely different because I don't want to call it a limitation thing. Yeah, and I definitely agree with you on that. I can't remember now that as an adult, I started thinking about, you know, I can't really put a finger on my heritage. Those things were taken away from my ancestors, my grandparents, and then you get mixed up. So um, you have different colors that's running through the bloodline, different races, and then it's like, okay, who am I? And I think that a lot of Black Americans struggle with identity because we don't really know where we came from and we just gravitated. Hip hop was a huge thing that, that created a, a subculture so we can have something of ours and move in that direction. And I still feel that way now. Every now and then I want to take a DNA test and I'm trying to figure out, okay, where, where do I fall on this map? What are these things that make up my identity? Who am I? And now as we kind of go through your, you went through school, you joined the military, why the military? What what really prop was that something that you always kind of thought about, or was there something that happened that kind of pushed you there? Because I joined the military and it was because I went to college, got dropped out of school, and then I tried to go back home and I didn't really want to work those jobs. And they were like, Well, you got to do something. <laughs> and my uncle had been in the Air Force for probably 10, 12 years at that moment, and he said, You know, the military has always been good to me. You should do it. And that's why I joined. For you, what was your reason? What kind of pushed you or what drew you to the military? The benefits. <laughs> I'm not getting it's nothing profound. Um, as I was, so the great thing is when I was in the civilian sector, I worked in banking. So my father, again, he had an accountant degree. So he worked himself from being a somebody that just worked at the bank as a teller and he moved all his cell. He worked himself all the way to the branch manager. Um, so he just, it's, I don't know, my, my parents are so dope now when I think about it because they weren't around as much. Um, and again, as I was growing up, it, it affected me a lot because they weren't around. But now seeing the perspective of being an adult, being a parent, I understand why they were grinding to, you know, give us a house and give us all the things we needed. So my first job was, well, I worked at Popeye's first, but after that, my job, my father got me a job in the bank. I mean, he kind of helped me build my resume. He got me in the banking industry. And that exposure really allowed me to understand credit and money and um, finances and how that piece moved. So when I started to go to college, I went to college and I realized like, man, I had to pay for college on my own. And I just didn't like the fact that I had to do it. And it was just like, man, all this money that I have to pay goes towards my tuition. I want to be able to pocket it. And again, be working in the banks. You, re you really learn so much about loans. I was taking out loans. I didn't want to do loans because, again, I was learning about credit and how that loans and how long it takes so long to pay it. So my friend at the time, my homegirl at the time, Janelle, she was like, listen, I've been looking into the military. Um, maybe that they have opportunities where you can potentially go to school and they'll pay for it. And I was like, okay, let's look into it. So I went to the Coast Guard first because they had a program where you can be active duty and go to school full time. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. You get paid and you go to school full time. But I didn't want to mess up my head by going swimming. I, I know how to swim. <laughs> I know, I know it's crazy, but that, that's crazy. You know, black women are about their hair. Okay. You know, joking. But uh, no, seriously, I, I was like, I'm not trying. They started to talk about the swim. I was like, oh no, I don't want that. So crazy reason why I didn't choose the Coast Guard, but that's why. Um, so then I looked into 
um, the Air Force after that. And the Air Force, their benefits made more sense for me. So because it made more sense to me, that's where I ended up transitioning to. Because again, the benefits, the, the education benefits really drew me in. And that's really was like my initial push into it. But then once I got there, I didn't realize, again, I was joining a leadership machine from a couple weeks into basic training. I was already being, hey, you're a leader. I already was in a leadership position. And the interesting part is before I even got into those leadership roles, I was the head teller at the bank. So I had already, I was already going into leadership positions, but it didn't click to me like this is what a leader is. Um, so I didn't realize I was getting more than just education benefits. I was getting leadership. I was getting challenged. I was getting running a mile and a half. <laughs> I wasn't expecting. I was getting all these different things that, again, really helped me come out of my shell and become the woman I am today. Um, so, yeah, it was for the benefits, but the benefits of it overall, how it transformed me internally to the external. I mean, it outweighs everything. So I'm so grateful to still serve today. Absolutely. And definitely thank you for continuing to serve our country and and do that. You know, a small percentage of us actually take that oath and serve it through. And it, it speaks volumes. So now you're still serving. You are increasing in your leadership role and growth. And tell us a little bit about what you do in this service. How do you how as a leader, how you're showing up day to day? for the Air Force? Yeah, so right now I'm in a special duty. So when you first go in, um, you go through basic training. Uh, but of course, before that, you choose a career field that you're going to go into. And I chose, um, at the time I did like material management, aka supply. But later on, I joined personnel. And um, but now I'm in a special duty. So I'm a career advisor. So because of my experience in the Air Force and being in so long, I was really attracted to this position because what I realized is that when I remember myself as a young airman, I didn't really have the mentorship and guidance by leaders that I should have had. Um, no shade to them, but I don't know if it was because of just lack of you have to think about the leadership of the past and the leadership of today. Uh, you know, we talk on our lives and the things we do in leadership development and talk about how people are looking for purpose. I mean, you have this millennial, I'm an I'm a older millennial, but you have the millennials, you have the Gen Zers and how we look at being mentored and guided in careers and in life is so different than people from different generations. You have to think about different generations. There was a season where there was a generation that was used to segregation, used to being separate. And this is how we function. This is how we live life. Unfortunately, you got to take this type of job because that's the only thing you can get because of, you know, unfortunately, bad policies that were in place and discriminatory um, activities that were happening. So that those experiences shape each generation as you move forward. Well, now you have a generation that has been exposed to more inclusivity and equity that are growing up not segregated and around like a fold of different ideas and minds and people from different backgrounds. So when they go into the workforce, they go in with this worldview, but then you have managers that are in those positions that still have that maybe that old school mindset and they haven't evolved. So for me, when I first went in, it was like a rocky transition because I went in, it was like, do as I say, go do this work and that's it. But me, I was expecting something completely different. So that first year in the military was rough. Like I was, I wasn't motivated to show up. It was just a rough, rough, rough experience for me. And I found myself always almost being kicked out because I just felt like my time was being wasted. But what was happening is that they were nurturing my talents effectively. They weren't identifying, okay, Aisha is good in this. Let's put her in this place. But I learned in that season by experiencing that, A, that I had to take control of my career and navigate my life a lot differently. And then, you know, I was blessed that God put me in positions where now I was starting to attract leaders in my life that started to educate me and give me that guidance and say, hey, there's an opportunity here. Why don't you go check it out? Hey, there's an opportunity there. And I started to notice like what areas I was gifted at. So from there, I started to get open to opportunities. I worked at the Pentagon, which is like a whole nother visibility level of the military from working at the Pentagon, because you're in a location where you're seeing all the branches of military, you're, you're around these high tier um, um, executives and you're working on some top, like top secret programs. It's really interesting. So, you know, by going through those experiences, I started to see the bad side of leadership allowed me to understand what 
I didn't want. And then the good side of leadership was like, okay, this is how I need to mold myself. So now as a career advisor, when I interact with a lot of individuals that saying I want to leave the military, the military gave me this experience, the military this, I like to really allow them to take a look at, okay, let's find out if it's your leadership. Maybe it's a leadership issue. Maybe it's a communication issue, a personality issue. Maybe you haven't been exposed to enough opportunities to know that if you join this part of the military, the Air Force Reserve, or if you go to this type of uh, uh, component within the Air Force Reserve, you'll actually have a little bit more work-life balance. And that's been just been the blessing for me is because I've had that um, experience. I feel that as you're moving into, I'm a senior NCO, which is like the top three tiers of the uh, military um, and the enlisted uh, force. But I feel that it's so important to start getting into roles where you can start to pivot and affect policy and change based off of your previous experience. So um, those experiences allowed me to be prepared for this role. So now when I educate airmen about their career progression, I can really allow them to see things from a bigger picture versus, oh, it's the Air Force. Yeah. Oh, it's my, it's no, no. We need to identify, oh, it's a family issue. Let's talk about that. And I literally remember having my first counseling session with the airman who blamed everything on the Air Force. That was the entire conversation. The Air Force, Air Force, as I started to ask more questions, it was, it was an issue with her spouse. She or she had she was going through a divorce. He blamed everything on the Air Force. But really what it was, it was just her scheduling. Really what it was, it was her mentorship. Really what it was, it was her supervisor and just identifying all that coming up with the plan. She ended up staying transitioning to an organization that she's happy at. And now she's like, thank you so much for going through that process with me. And again, that's why it's so important to give back and also evolve as a leader through your experiences so you can help people behind you understand the different layers and how to transition leadership in life. Oh, that's really good. And you dropped a lot of gems there, but I am big, a big proponent of loving and falling in love with the process. Oftentimes we don't like the process because the process is uncomfortable, um, but everything we go through, if we would take the gems, the nuggets, the lessons, we will come out on the other end whole, fuller, and be able to share that and go back and get other people, which is what you have done. You you figured out or you learn, okay, this is something that I don't like. And instead of complaining, you begin to change. You took in the good pieces. You created a great system for yourself. And now you can share that with other airmen who may be coming through the same process. And instead of just letting them blame the Air Force and throw their hands up, you actually give them a viable solution that makes sense and it's practical. Now, you begin to, or for your voice and volunteering and mentorship, your biography goes deep into that. When did you know that you had a message outside of the military to deliver? And how did you start that process? Ah, man. Um, I think it was just, you know, kind of the more and more that I heard more stories from different people and had opportunities to mentor, support them, I started to recognize that this messaging might be something that can really benefit a lot of people um, outside of, you know, supporting corporate or leaders at a top tier levels. I've always had a heart for you. And typically what happens is that, you know, the experiences that you went through, a lot of times you find yourself not wanting other young people or whatever, um, pocket of population that fits in, you don't want them to go through the same thing. So I found myself really being driven, driven to help young girls, um, which ended up birthing into even helping young men and navigating life, especially those that are, that are in situations where it might not be as favorable. If you look at studies and statistics, there are statistics out there that will tell you that you're going to be a failure, that they're going, they're going to tell you, well, this population of kids that live in this area that's been through these things are going to eventually turn into this um, this type of person. So I remember talking to a um, at-risk um, school, and I don't even like to call them at-risk because they're not at-risk. They're actually at, you know, they, they 
it can definitely pivot. So that was the topic of conversation. I literally walked them through the trauma that I experienced and said that on the other side, look at how I was able to show up. And then I compared it to the statistics that say, you know, women or young kids that are sexually abused at young ages, they'll end up getting PTSD. I said, yes, I did have post-traumatic stress disorder, but I was able to overcome it through therapy and guidance and support um, through the therapeutic lens and also spiritually, because that's important to me. Um, we talked about how um, I talked about the bullying, the suicide attempts. I even talked about me thinking about uh, committing suicide later on in my adult life. I walked them through that entire process of the daddy issues and about how, although my father was physically present, he wasn't emotionally present. And I just walked them through each phase that I went through between, again, five years old to 20. And it's like, look what happened on the other side of this. Look at how I was still able to rebuild, refocus, nurture my mental health and really overcome all these to still get here. Now I'm here today to impact you all that have ran into hurdles. I mean, again, a lot of these schools are filled with, um, you know, young people who have a ton of issues. They're being bullied. I ran into a one young girl that's been influencing me throughout this journey who was 16 and pregnant. And she's like, listen, I had a soccer scholarship. I was a top dog. But now all that's gone away because I had a night of drinking and I ended up pregnant. The mm -hmm. father doesn't want to be around. I ran into, you know, young people who couldn't go to school because of they were being bullied because they were dealing with, you know, gender and identity and uh, sexual orientation. I had people who, you know, got kicked out because they were, you know, hanging with gangs. I mean, it's just people was like young people that went through so many different experiences that I could relate to that I was like, I have to give back. And I think being in those spaces really pushed me to be more and do more because I wanted to show them that on the other side of pain, trauma, and all these studies, and people are telling you that you're always going to be a failure on the other side of all this is victory, hope, it is success, happiness, love. So um, that going through that experience and that journey um, again, this influenced me to give back and even opening up and wondering, because I have a, a, a program called Mentoring 100. So these are military mentors that go into a local elementary school where we mentor boys. And I was like, how am I going to mentor young Black boys? I am a woman. But what I realized on that journey is I was exposing them to a different type of woman that they were not seeing in their community or in their household. Yeah. They were telling me stories about things they were seeing and how they thought of a black woman or how they thought about women from the lens of their experiences. And I was able to give them another view, again, exposure. And now they're like, you know what? Not all women are like this or not all black women are like this or not all men because I had men in the fold as well. So I, again, I think it's just so important to go back and really help people on this journey, especially young people, because, again, there are future leaders. And if we can nurture our future leaders and help them overcome these traumas, then we can see a very, very hopeful future. Absolutely. And I'm mentor at a local middle school here and they have what they call their at risk youth. Really boys that have been written off and volunteers are the ones that come in and lift them up. And one thing that you keep mentioning is exposure. If they just have exposure, their chances of changing are just infinitely greater because a lot of these kids, when I mentor them, what they would tell me is, you know, what you say sounds good, but my reality at home isn't that. I don't have anybody telling me I can be a business owner. I can be successful. I can go to college. Some of them, you know, don't have two parent households. Some of them are with grandparents. So having exposure, just that positive figure to come in and tell them, hey, I've been through X, I have overcome it, you can do it, has opened a lot of their minds. And for the kids that I mentor, I've shared stories with them about other kids that are successful, that are authors, that have businesses that are their age. And it changes their whole perspective because nobody around them ever told them that. So it's a great thing that you're doing, working with the youth. I believe that as long as we continue that work, we'll see a new generation of people that's just not the school to prison pipeline and they're just not give, giving up on. Now, did you always have such a strong, passionate voice or was that developed through time or did you go through some training to help you develop that a little bit more? Well, initially, listen, I'm an introvert by heart. I, I, 
Um, and again, I had social anxiety just because of the experiences I had as a young girl. I'm um, being bullied and not feeling that you fit in. You naturally conform to a mindset of, well, I have to do this alone. So going into rooms and kind of just automatically segregating myself is just an automatic thing. Um, because again, it's just like, unconsciously wired to say, okay, let me go here and assess the room. So I naturally would do that. Um, so being alone and being a loner or kind of like moving back and kind of staying to myself, a lot of people take it as like, what's wrong with her? She's not social. What's wrong with her? Is she stuck up? Does she have an attitude? But really I'm super socially anxious. And also I'm also, it's like a protective thing that I had um, because it's like I already had that assumption, like if I don't fit in, I'm fine anyway. So let me segregate myself now versus try to insert myself. And they're like, you don't belong here. So being an introvert and being so shy into myself, <laughs> I again, I, I speaking and, and vocalizing was hard for me. It was something that was just hard for me to do. And again, I think that being in the military, when you go through a um, that's why leadership development is so important in all tiers, because we have programs from ALS, Airman Leadership School. Then you have Non-Commissioned Officer Academy. Then you have Senior Non-Commissioned Officer Academy. And these schools are teaching you public speaking skills. Um, you're in rooms and you have programs that you have to brief to commanders and leaders and tell them, hey, what's going on with this? So again, when you're in a machine and you're exposed to a space where they're pushing you and saying, this is the expectation. You're expected to lead. Um, you have to give these briefings. Um, in order for you to promote, you have to go to these leadership schools, which are going to develop your speaking skills and allow you to have an understanding of leadership at that level. And again, as you progress, they expose you to more layers of leadership. Because from a senior NCO level, you're th seeing things from a more bigger picture, where maybe at Airman Leadership School, you're learning the beginnings of being a, you know, beginner leader. So those rooms really helped me learn how to, A, start, start to speak because it was required of me. And um, of course, you know, as I, as I got matured, became an adult. I entered a program, I mean, shout out to ETA, Eric Thomas and Associates, but I entered a, entered a program because I really wanted to be, again, we're living in a generation with millennials and Gen Zers and the future generations that want to be in purpose. So with me striving to be in purpose, I wanted to really make sure that I was able to convey my message effectively and make it a living. So that program really allowed me to know more of the strategy behind the business of speaking, being an entrepreneur that is a speaker that utilizes that platform that that trains and coaches um, and does those different things. So again, it's about exposure. So in, I invested in that. So investment is so good. I invested in going to those and then being in a space where I was being pulled in the military. It's like, listen, you want this, you want this strike. Right. You have to go to this school. Now if it forced me to have to st stand up and step up. Um, and I, again, I've just been blessed to be exposed to these different rooms but the question is, a lot of people don't seek that afterwards. And I'm just glad I invested in myself to really uh, expand my knowledge and my wisdom and um, develop my speaking skills, which now, again, helps train and develop people so they can be better leaders. Oh, that's good. That's really good. And I'm going to throw a plug out for the Air Force or military in general. If you are listening and you don't know what you want to do with your life or you have kids and they kind of don't know what they want to do, Go to the military, go and serve and take the time to develop and allow that machine to develop you. I have always been a um, advocate for going into the military, serving at least the minimum time, four years, three years, maybe. But it is an avenue that will give you training, benefits, pay, and also those developmental skills, leadership skills. It, it's just a, when my uncle said, man, the Air Force, he's from Trinidad, so he has an accent. He's like, the Air Force always been good to me. <laughs> I understand that now. I understand why, because it will set you up for success if you go through there with the mindset of utilizing everything that's there and available to you. So definitely just wanted to put that out there. If you are struggling with where you are, and you're not too old. We got some age limits <laughs> in the forces. You can go look those up. But if you're at a point in your life where you just want to make a change and you don't know how, that's one way you can do it. it you can go sign up. You'll get whipped into shape. And then you will go on and serve. And you will then have time to think about what may be 
down the line for me. Don't go anywhere. Stay right here for the other half of this message. That'll be back to you in one second. I know those sales look so tempting, but I want you to invest in something different this year. I want you to invest in yourself in preparation for 2021. What about a business development strategy? What about a leadership development strategy? Maybe some personal development is what you need to help improve and grow so you can show up better in the household or even professionally. And you need to take advantage of our 40% sale that we have right now to help you grow and develop personally, professionally, or even in your business. So reach out to us at info at athleteconsulting.com and ask for the athlete insights so you can get that personal development or maybe you can become a part of our eight-week cohort where we're helping individuals launch, scale, and grow their business. So connect with us today and invest in yourself. Info at athleteconsulting.com. So what did you guys think about part one? Like I always do, I like to do a reflection afterwards and ask you what were some takeaways that you wrote down? I know this first half is really focused on my life and my perspective, but one of the areas I really want to focus in on is bias, right? A lot of times when people think of bias, the first thing a lot of people think about is from the aspect of racial bias, But just imagine my experience being West African coming to a new country and seeing people that look like me and I didn't necessarily fit in and how that also rocked my world. And that's why, you know, racial bias is like at the highest. Right. That's probably the thing that is the thing that needs to be addressed immediately. But another aspect that I like to focus on also is that the other bias that we have to work within ourselves, because I'm big on self-reflection. I believe that if we can create individual change, that person changes, that trickles into now their reinforcing change within their family and their households. Now, if they're changing within their household and they go out into the world, them functioning from this new, renowned, redefined self can also have impact within the teams they work with and then so on. And then now those team members are affected and it pretty much is like a trickle effect. So for me, it was a very eye-opening experience coming from another country and people see you externally and they assume that, you know, you already have certain experiences without, without actually looking intrinsically and asking questions to really understand who you are as an individual. When I do diversity, equity, and um, inclusion training, one of the things I like to do as an exercise is, of course, I want you to, we want to highlight your bias. Again, it's about the individual change because, again, if the individual can make changes, it can impact another and another, and it's a trickle effect. So we address the bias first. We talk about what bias comes from, how it can affect your behavior, which essentially can um, result into discriminatory behavior. So we talk about that. But then now it's equipping the individual with tools for them to now look at people differently because now, okay, I'm telling you to check yourself, right? So even for you that's listening out there, check yourself. What kind of biases do you have? Because again, most of our biases are learned from the things we watch on TV, even the things that we learn in the household. Again, there are probably a few biases that I might have had from my household about America, but once I lived in America, had experiences, okay, now I had to learn new things so I can unlearn wrong things or just to educate myself versus having maybe just a one-track mind about something because I never experienced it. So for yourself, what would you say that bias is? It might not be racial. It might be with women, right? You might automatically feel like, okay, women you might just look at them in a different way. And even as a woman to other women, do you have a bias against women? One of the things that I've been really honing in on is identifying or creating people. I've been talking about becoming a door opener. And the reality is that even women with women, we sometimes have a bias with one another. And that's because, again, from experiences that we had that has created this narrative in our mind. So unconsciously, we're not even realizing that we're showing up a certain way. So you might be more likely to hire a male over a female. I've been guilty of myself saying in the past, hey, 
I, you know what? I don't want to work with it, um, women anymore because it's always drama. We need to have some like testosterone in here. So I hope the next person that they hire is a male. But now that I work in a space with it's mainly women, that's not a fact. But that was things that I had to learn years ago and realize that, again, it's an individual thing, regardless if I'm working with all women, all men, because I've worked in space. I, my first military job or my organization, I supported a civil engineering squadron. And civil engineers are those that do like there was plumbing, um, there were structures. I mean, it was all like that hard labor, you know, fixer upper type of career field. And it was really male dominated. And that experience was different because I got to, I was around mainly males. I think within that organization, myself, my supervisor, um, maybe the people that were work like the human resources. I mean, it might've been less than five, six women in that entire organization. And you're talking about an organization with a hundred people, really male dominated. And there were drama there as well. But that's why it's so important that we check our own biases and recognize that we might be showing up a certain way and don't even realize that when we look at something or someone, we judge them. And I really appreciate Tyrus asking that question because, again, I like to have these conversations and say that, you know, there's more than one way to be black. There's more than one way to be a woman. I don't have to necessarily, you know, consider my life needs to look this kind of way that we might have thought that society has created women to be or to show up in an organization. For instance, for me, I grew up a tomboy and people assume that tomboy, they have just, again, judgments about tomboys, but I, you know, we we just watched or some people watched Mike Tyson fight Roy Jones. But I remember as a young girl, when my parents would purchase the Mike Tyson fights, I started to like look up to him. Now, of course, I didn't know about Mike Tyson's shenanigans and all the stuff that he was dealing with personally. But I looked at the sport, I looked at the art of it, and I really was fascinated by it. And I found myself saying, I want to do that. But again, society will make you say that, okay, for women, you don't box. That's not something you do. This is how you should, you know, shape or this is like awkward. Like, really? Like Mike Tyson was your, was like somebody you looked up to? Yeah. Like, why can't it be? Why does it, why can't, why does it have to be someone else? So it's really important that we start to change the narrative or really start to look at people deeper than what we see on the outside. And I think that would allow a lot of things to change where you no longer see women struggling to get into certain roles because people, you know, they have to show up differently because people function with that unconscious bias. We won't have issues with other aspects of the racial bias, gender bias. I mean, you have um, ageism that's really affecting a lot of these young, younger Gen Zers going into the workplace. And again, people have been using this millennial term all wrong and saying, well, millennials are like this. Millennials are like that. Not even realize they were really um, referring to Gen Zers. But even for Gen Zers, why do we have to judge and say they're young or they're lazy when we have to realize that their worldview and their experiences were different than us and those that came before us and just really start to learn about people from a different surface? So that was my biggest takeaway, really starting to check yourself and identify what is my bias? What are the areas I need to work on? myself as an individual, because yes, you might not be able to change the the entire world, but your influence and how you show up in the world day to day, you never know if that is the book that the person reads. And when I mean book that the person reads, that's like your example is what they read and that allows them to change and start to look at things differently. I know that I've had a lot of people come into my life and from the conversations that we've had and the exposure that they've given to me, I've been able to look at the world, look at people, look at situations so differently. And that's why it's so powerful. And that's why I preach leadership development. And, you know, we think about it from the professional sense, but we are all leaders. We're going to end up being leaders in the household if you're not, you know, someone that has children if you're not somebody that's married or, you know, even if you're somebody that you later on say, I want to go into a leadership role within the professional space, we're all leaders in some sense. So we have to start working on ways where we can start to have that level of awareness and check ourselves and identify what areas we need to work on, develop in so we can show up in the world better. And we're not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. You know, you might still find yourself being ruled by your bias or assuming a story about somebody. But the, the question for you is, will you take time and just learn about somebody? Learn about them in a different way. 
even from the outside, you do read them and they say, yes, this is a black person. This is a white person or whatever. And you have like, you know, the, the, they have the basics. Okay. Boxes checked. What is their specific story? Everybody's story is different. Some might be similar, but we need to start getting to the heart and the internals of people versus creating our own stories. And I think that, again, that will help a lot of organizations reduce communication issues. It will help a lot of organizations be more collaborative. Same thing within the household. You know, if you can say the household is an organization that can help with communication and connectivity because people are really just starting to have conversations and starting to understand the perspective of others. So I really hope you guys come back next week and listen to part two. And really, again, when you listen to these podcasts, I know, you know, it might be just, it's good information. It's just my voice talking or you hear an interview and it's giving you tips and so on. But I really want you guys to reflect on this information. Again, it's called internal fire because I'm trying to drive internal change. I want, you give, I want to give you a perspective that you might have never ever listened before. Yes, there's certain episodes that might not sound as catchy to you because it might not be relatable. Like, fellas, my brothers out there, right? My men out there. Those episodes about women, those episodes about topics that maybe you're not, you might not necessarily gravitate towards to no listen to them. It's good to hear different perspectives. And although it might be uncomfortable or it might not be as exciting, at least you're learning something new that might help you show up differently in the world that might end up resulting to you being a door opener for somebody that might be dealing with discrimination or issues, or it just allows you to connect with people so differently from those that you're in personal relationships with and professional relationships. So really take time to reflect on this information. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Make sure you catch the previous episodes because I've been having this like nice little theme going on. So go back and listen to those Tune in next week for part two. Share this with a friend. Comment if you love it. You know, leave a review. And I will catch you guys next week. Bye-bye. I got you. It's coming. Are you ready to ignite the fire? We are Speak Fire. Oh, and by the way, that's fire with a Y. What's going on, everyone? Internal fire. Student fire. Young fire. Father's fire. Leadership fire. Champion fire. (laughs) (laughs) Unlocking the fire within. Thank you all for tuning in. Let's grow. Speak fire. Speakfire.com. Speak fire with a Y. We have a new episode that comes out every Monday at 4 a.m. Are you going to be up with us? Deuces. I want to shout out all my faithful listeners for tuning in every week. And don't forget to follow me on social media at Miss Aisha Speaks on all platforms. That's M-S-A-I-S-H-A Speaks. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Turn your notifications on and leave a comment if this podcast has blessed you in any kind of way. I thank you for all your support. Many blessings to you.